Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Adapted from Sandra Schulberg's monograph, Filmmakers for the Prosecution retraces the thrilling hunt for film evidence used to convict the Nazis at the Nuremberg Trials in 1946. The searchers were two sons of Hollywood, brothers Bud and Stuart Schulberg, serving under the command of OSS film chief and legendary film director John Ford. The motion pictures that they presented in the courtroom became part of the social record and helped shape our understanding of the Holocaust to this day. We're joined today by the producer of Filmmakers for the Prosecution, as well as the daughter of Bud Schulberg, Sandra Schulberg. Sandra, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you very, very much, Mike. Thank you. This is a fascinating film, and obviously the historical impact and and, uh, value of it, but there's also a, a story, a very humanizing story about your family and about this journey, and there's a lot more here. So tell me a little bit about your involvement in this project. Well, this whole project, by project, I mean researching and trying to tell the story of the OSS film unit in the lead up to the Nuremberg trial landed on me. Uh, It was never part of my plan. I, I was a working movie producer at the time that my mother died in 2002. And it was at that point, or actually a year later, when we were finally emptying her loft, that my brothers and I found so many boxes that my father had kept up till the time of his death in 1979, his his early death at age 56. And then that my mother had held on to, thank God, you know, as we moved from place to place for many decades more. I took it upon myself to unpack these boxes, put all of the records into chronological order, including 300 pages of typed letters that my father wrote to my mom during the hunt for the films and during the trial. He was, you know, part of what is touching about this story is that they were newly married. She was a war bride. In fact, John Ford was at their little tiny wedding reception held in my grandparents' apartment in New York City. So they were very much in love. He wrote long letters to her almost every day. This story began to reveal itself to me. I I was not a historian by trade. I was not an expert on World War II and the Holocaust, let alone the cinematography of the Holocaust, which is a, a specialized field of its own. So I had I had a tremendous amount to learn. The documents, however, were very, very revealing, but I also needed to consult with scholars to help me understand what, what I was reading and the import of it. And little little by little I decided I learned that the official film about the trial had been suppressed. And little by little I decided, well, I'm a filmmaker, you know. There was a bit of mystique about film restoration, but now that I know so much about the process, I think that's an unnecessary mystique. You know, this is not so mysterious. If you're a film producer by by trade, which I was, am, it is not difficult to, the the mechanics of film restoration are, are not 
difficult. That doesn't mean it doesn't have its own challenges. It does. It certainly does. And especially when you can't find the original elements, whether the picture elements or the sound elements, all of you know problems we faced. But it's not like trying to become a theoretical physicist, you know, in your middle age. So the first thing I decided is that it would be important to restore the film and try to get it released at last in America. And then along the way, and in talking with my uncle, you know, we decided that this story was worth a book because we had so many documents and then Bud's own recollections. So, uh, you know, that's the path that I'm still on. I didn't do a very good job of explaining that this film is about a film and other and the, the journey of that film to be made that was instrumental in essentially convicting the remaining live people from the Third Reich after World War II. And for people, in, I hate to say this, I don't mean to be disrespectful to people today, but many people do not know what the trial at Nuremberg was about and and how instrumental it was for that for people, and this is just human nature, I believe, to see things as opposed to hearing things that were done, right? Is the importance of that. Let's just let's talk a little bit about that. Exactly. First of all, Filmmakers for the Prosecution is a film about a film about a set of underlying films. It's it's go. really it's extremely layered story. And I would just like to say to help people kind of get a grip on what we're talking about, that when the plans for the trial, the Nuremberg trial, the first Nuremberg trial, which was intended to prosecute the top ranking, Hitler had already committed suicide, but a number of his top military and civilian officials were alive, and they were rounded up by the Russians, the Brits, and the Americans. And the idea was to prosecute them in a fairly complex judicial proceeding with judges from all four of the allied countries. There were a lot of Nazi documents that they could use that they had managed to get in their possession. But it was also decided, and this is where the OSS film unit was brought in, it was also decided to try as Jackson said, a picture is worth a thousand words. It was also decided to try to gather motion picture evidence to underpin the four counts of the indictment. So my father's OSS film unit, which was headed by John Ford, the, his second in command was Ray Kellogg, who was a 20th Century Fox movie man. A lot of the editors that they brought with them were also already American studio editors. And this very small team was therefore sent to Germany to, one, find footage that could be used, two, assemble that footage, and three, present it in the courtroom. And the American team, I mean, this film is about the tremendous obstacles that they faced in that process, but ultimately, what is important to understand is that they put together two films for the courtroom. One was called Nazi Concentration Camps, which was presented in the second week of the trial and really shook up the courtroom. And the second film presented in mid-December was called The Nazi Plan. And it, it is the second of those films, The Nazi Plan, that is composed entirely of film that they found that had been shot by cameramen who were working for the Reich, who were German cameramen. 
So these two films ended up having quite a an impact in the courtroom, both from a juridical point of view, but also, of course, from a psychological point of view. And I think it's also interesting to note that the Russians also shot film when they were liberating Auschwitz, for instance, and other camps, and they showed their own film in the courtroom in January. So the Americans and the Russians presented motion picture evidence. And this was a first in the history of, of the law, really. There were a lot of people who were very skeptical about doing this, including members of Justice Jackson, the chief American prosecutor, had a whole legal team with him. And they were initially, we know this from my father's letters home, that they were very skeptical about using, it was such a radical idea to you know, allow motion pictures in the courtroom. And they had to build a special movie screen, yes. which again, you see in Filmmakers for the Prosecution. It was really historic and it was quite a audacious bet, I would say. I believe, I may be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Nuremberg was the first trial of war criminals. It, it, is that correct? Is that the first time established nations had, had impaneled uh, um, people to judge war there crimes? Had been, there had been, going back to the 1400s, actually, okay. considered the first war crimes trial. But there had never been an international trial that was prosecuting not just war crimes, but the two extraordinary uh, landmarks in at the first Nuremberg trial was that they were prosecuting what they called the crime of aggression, the very act of making war, which mm -hmm. we see a prime example of today in Ukraine. And they were, for the first time, they were prosecuting what they defined as crimes against humanity. So that is, I think, probably what people remember. If they know anything about the trial, it's probably what they remember most is that this was an attempt to prosecute and hold personally responsible, not, not just the country, the nation, but to hold individual leaders personally accountable for crimes against humanity, crimes, the crime of aggression, and war crimes. We have a long history of war crimes and the laws of war, which date back, I mean, they were codified during the Civil War, and then the Hague Conventions of the Geneva Conventions. But there hadn't been an international legal tribunal that attempted to prosecute all of these crimes in one place and at one time. Amazing. Once again, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Sandra Schulberg, and the film is called Filmmakers for the Prosecution, and uh, the director of the film is Jean-Christophe Klotz. Yeah, it's just remarkable. It's remarkable because of just the multidimensional aspect to this film, this, as you described it. It's a film within a film, and also the idea of your own family's history and all of this, about it, Stuart Schulberg and how important that was. And there's just a remarkable story, which I'm not going to give away, about finding so much of this archival footage that became a key element in, in making the case. And uh, there's just so much here. And I, I think people need, especially, as you mentioned, prescient now with, with, with what's going on in, in the Ukraine, that people be held accountable, governments and people be held accountable for their actions. Well, I think it's also interesting for people to know that one of the main characters in our film is Eli Rosenbaum. Now, Eli is very well known 
in the world of international criminal justice because he headed for 40 years the Office of Special Investigations, OSI, at the Department of Justice, which was set up to find and extradite or prosecute people who were Nazis who had come into the country, into the U.S. without under under false pretenses or without divulging that or or lying about this. And he was on his way into retirement when in last June, Merrick Garland, our attorney general, tapped him to become to take on a new position. His official title is counselor for war crimes accountability. And his job is to investigate war crimes in Ukraine as they're happening, which is a kind of a rare situation. And he's not alone. I mean, there are people within Ukraine who are gathering data. There are other European countries that are assisting with this process. And, you know, with the idea that there will eventually be a trial and people will be prosecuted for the crime of aggression and for war crimes committed in Ukraine. So important. There's so much here for people to digest and understand that while it's something that happened 70 years ago in the film, many of these crimes were committed 70 plus years ago, nonetheless, very relevant today. Uh, if people want to see the film, where can we where can we see how can we see the film? It's opening at a number of Lemley theaters, as well as at the Lumiere Cinema in Beverly Hills. And it's going to go to many other cinemas in many other cities. So depending on when your listeners are tuning in, they'll have to go to the Kino Lorber website or to the Nuremberg Film website to see, is, is it playing in a theater near you? That's what we hope. Very good. And we will have those links at the filmschoolradio.com website. You mentioned Kino Lorber, terrific distributor, filmmakers for the prosecution. It's there available. And also DC uh, TV uh, Firehouse has John Alpert and his wonderful, not only his own background as a filmmaker, but his his uh, passion for documentary films and filmmakers. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. You know, I could talk to you for hours. I literally feel like we could spend the afternoon talking about your background as a producer, your love of cinema, restoration of cinema. Just the list goes on and on. So I'm going to extend. Hopefully, we can do this again soon, at a time and place. Uh, maybe uh, a few. Whenever, whenever you tell me when, because I would love to talk to you about your your background in film. We just didn't have the time to to explore it too deeply, but just such a rich history. I know. Well, I hope that we can talk about uh, film restoration writ large. Yes. But um, in the meantime, th this is a pretty fascinating story. And the fact that it's sort of only now coming out is a surprising, it, it, I think it's going to be a surprise to people and a lot of fun to discover this. I could not agree more. Sandra Schulberg, thank you so very much for your work on Filmmakers for the Prosecution. And as I said, I look forward to another conversation with you about many other film-related um, topics and your work as well. So thank you so much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. Thank you very, very much, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. 
You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 